my wife and I, uh, for several years, we've, we've saved a lot of animals on the road. Um, there's one particular animal, though, we, we didn't quite save. It wasn't a very smooth um, time. I won't, I won't share it, but if you do want to know, we can talk about it after. Um, but we have saved so many different animals on the road, um, and it all started with my parents. It started when we had just finished vacation in Orlando, and we were driving back home. And we squeezed into this little red Chevrolet convertible, and we were on our way home, and it was scorching hot. And so we, put, we blast the AC. We're still sweating. And as we're on our way back, there's this really long stretch of, like, they had kind of just, there was a lot of deforestation. They had cut a lot of the trees and land, and it was all dirt. And as we're driving, we come across this tortoise. And I'm like, oh, my, I'm, I'm like seven or nine, between seven and nine when I was age. And I'm like, no, the tortoise is going to die because it's so hot. And my mom stops, and she's like, Sammy, get the turtle. And my dad gives this look like, excuse me? And he's like, it's just a turtle. Like, it's fine. And my mom's like, Sammy, get the turtle. I'm not going to ask you again. And at that point, you know, the third time, no one survives my mom. So he did exactly what she said, and he picked up the turtle. And as he picked up the turtle, this turtle is fighting him, trying to snap, you know, at his fingers. And we get into the car, and he's like, honey, what are we supposed to do with this turtle? And she's like, we're going to find the lake a lake around because there was literally no water around and this was scorching out it was like over 100 degrees and this turtle was definitely wandering and so we we went to try to save it and as my mom is trying to find a place for this turtle um it just starts pooping everywhere all over my dad all over the car trying to snap it and my dad's like honey i can't do this like we got to just throw it out of the car and we finally get the turtle to where it needs to be this cute lake which was just there, and it survived. It lived, thanks to my dad and my mom. Um, but the, see, this turtle had no idea where it was going. It was literally going in the wrong, this tortoise was going the wrong direction. It was moving to where the exact opposite, it was going inland, it was going the exact opposite place of where there was water, of where there was life. And as we were trying to help it, it did not understand. It could not grasp the fact that we were trying to help it. And one of the most difficult things to do in the world is to try to convince someone they're going in the wrong direction, that they're making wrong choices, that what they do, what they're doing is not going to create the life that they want to live. It's not going to create the life that they seek from God or the desired outcomes but that there are actually consequences and not benefits to it. So today's talk is named Loudest One in the Room. I know we're doing the series on, on prophets, and so this talk is about the book of Hosea. It's about the book of Hosea, this very obscure story that we're going to jump into. But Hosea is a prophet uh, and during this time, he lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, which, which was sometimes called Ephraim, or he called it Ephraim or Jacob. And it's about 200 years after Israel and Judah, or Israel broke off from Judah. So the nation was split. 
and there was a lot of tumultuous, like there was a lot of, of struggle and violence and difficulty. And Hosea had prophesied that Israel was going to be taken over if they didn't change their ways, that there were going to be consequences. He was trying to help them change the direction, change their navigation, because they were completely off. And he was saying, if you continue this path, there's going to be destruction. There are going to be consequences. And that's coming from the alliance you've created, the alliance you've made with Assyria. See, Hosea had seen this coming. And this, this book of Hosea is a collection of almost 25 years of, of sermons, messages, and all of it is written in poetry. So the North and South are enemies. The people of God are split. It's like this almost very close like civil war. And they're surrounded by their enemies. Egypt, Assyria, and a bunch of other countries. So Israel's inner world at this point, um, they're at the, this peak. The northern kingdom's at their peak of prosperity. Uh, they're under the rule of King Jeroboam. And he is doing all the right things the wrong way. He is creating so much wealth for, their, for the nation. He is making all of these political alliances. He is making Israel somewhat powerful and feeling safe, however, at the expense of its soul. Israel is made in, when they made an alliance with Assyria, Assyria became their overlord. This idea that they can have this peace between Israel and Assyria, but Israel has to worship their gods. They have to commit to making this bond. And so they worship this, they worship their god, Baal, this Canaanite god that is uh, a god of fertility, of, of agricultural growth. And so they, they start to worship this god. But with this becomes a lot of injustice. As through their worship, there is, some have said there's human sacrifices. They were committing adultery by serving more than one master, right? God says, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and the world. And so they start serving multiple uh, gods. And with this, Jeroboam was also creating a huge gap within the wealthy and the poor. He was creating this wealth by exploiting his people. Both the priests and the leaders supported Jeroboam's decisions and rule. And the worship that, that they gave to these gods were in direct violation to their relationship with Yahweh, their God, who had upheld humanity. See, God was a God who upheld humanity from the very beginning, right? We have the Ten Commandments that is our relationship with God, but also our relationship with our sisters and our brothers. It was about not only the well-being of our relationship with God, but the well-being of our neighbors. And so this pact that they had with Assyria and their gods was about exploitation. It was about immediate indulgence. It was about the lowest level of human beings. Do what you want. Make sure you get what you need for yourself. 
and don't care about anyone else. It was the exact, it was in, in direct violation to the very being of who God is, the very essence of God. It was about what was most instinctual, what was most impulsive, the lowest level. They were becoming inhumane. And God, from the very beginning, has always been trying to call the humanity out. There was no accountability for them to be their best selves. So the condition of God's people was so dark. In their worship to other gods, they allowed grave injustice to occur. So the book of Hosea is filled with challenging texts. Because his people have, had went well off track, this book is very challenging to read. It is full of, of, of sorrow. It is full of lament. It is full of judgment that God is going to bring upon his people. And it's hard. It's hard to read. It's hard to see, like, is this really the God that I serve? Because it feels like two different gods. And so Israel is compared to many things. Israel is compared to aimless birds flying from one place to the other. That they're just going back and forth. That, that the Hosea describes Israel as an insufficient half-baked pancake. So in Israel, they would take this, this dough, they would put it in the furnace, and they would put hot coals on it. And then they would remove the coals, flip the pancake over, put the coals right back on. And they continued this process until the pancake was fully and sufficiently cooked, that it was exactly the way it needed to be. And so the passage is calling it half-baked, not well thought out, not well lived. It called Israel a wandering wild donkey. An aimless donkey. And lastly, it called Israel driftwood in the ocean. Moving at every wind, every time the wind blew one direction, the driftwood moved. And vice versa. Israel did not have substance. Israel did not have a foundation that it was built on at this point. They moved wherever their impulses went. And so God confronts the people of Israel. He sends Hosea to confront, and he says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and there is no intimacy between me and my people in this land. And so the story is, this, this book is very angry, but interwoven in this collection are two very powerful passages displaying an extraordinary portrait of the heart of God in this book of anger and frustration. See, God's response was that the people could understand, so that the people could understand their situation, so they could comprehend the gravity of the moment. God gave them something very disorienting and disruptive, something that they could feel on a visceral level. He gave them the life of Hosea and Gomer. See, Hosea's call, like many prophets, it's, it's very particular. However, Hosea's call uh, is probably the most exceptional, ridiculous, and slightly embarrassing assignment. Not only does he have to prophesy with his mouth and people are going to get frustrated, he has to prophesy with his life. The interaction and in their story kind of goes like this. Hey, Hosea. Hi, God. Yes, God. I have an assignment for you. 
I want you to be a speaker to Israel. And your assignment, if you so choose, is I want you to marry an unfaithful woman. Like my dad, Jose, I was like, excuse me, come again? Yes, I want you to marry an unfaithful woman. There really isn't any other background that we're given regarding this, this assignment. Just marry an unfaithful person. Hosea is going off on a, on a limb here, on a lot of trust, a lot of faith, and on a lot of hope in his God. And so he marries Gomer, and things go pretty well for a while. They have three kids, and one day Gomer is not around when he wakes up. And so he, he checks the bedrooms, goes into this bathroom, bedroom, she's not here. He goes into the yard, she's not there. He goes to the kitchen, she's not there either. Okay, well, maybe she went out to be with friends. Some time passes by. Okay, maybe she went to the market to go get some food. Uh, we're running low on eggs, and she knows how much I love eggs, so maybe she went to go out and get some eggs. Truthfully, I, I love eggs, like, a lot. Me as a person. Love eggs. Um, and so he, he goes, and, and hours pass, and she still has not returned. And it, then it finally sets in. She's gone. His wife is gone. The person he created a family with, she's, she's not there. He's now a single parent of three kids, and he's supposed to be this holy and righteous man. He's supposed to, at this point, he's, he's definitely famous in the land. He may not be well-liked, but he's, well, he's famous, he's well-known, and everyone at this point will know that his wife left him, that she's gone. He's supposed to be this, this symbol and beacon of hope. But his family is left in shambles. And he's probably had some really dark nights and sl like sleepless nights thinking about, is she okay? I, I wonder where she is. Is she with somebody else? And finally, after some time, God comes to Hosea. Listen, I have a plan for us. And I'm sure Hosea was like, thank God. Thank you, Lord. And Hosea was like, okay, here it is. I want you to go find Gomer. And I want you to marry her. So God, you, you ask a lot of things. But you want me to remarry Gomer? Yeah. I, I want you to go find her and marry her. See, he's considered... Again, this holy man, he is a seer. He is a prophet of Israel. Set apart. This idea of being set apart. And he has to go to a place that he should never be. He, he looks for his wife in the red light district. Asking people, hey, ha have, you seen, have you seen Gomer? No? Okay, thank you. Hey, hey, have you, have you seen... I'm looking for my wife, uh, Gomer. Have you seen her? No, no, I haven't seen her. All right, thank you. And he is continuously looking and searching. He is pursuing her. And he finally gets his person. He's like, hey, have, have you seen my wife? I'm looking for Gomer. And he's like, oh, Gomer. Yeah, yeah, I saw her um, a couple weeks back. Um, last time I saw her was like two blocks over 
um, she was at, at this place. Oh, she, oh, she was? Okay, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And when he, as he continues to search for her and he, and he finds himself at the place, he walks in and he finds himself walking in on a selling block. He's walking in on an auction of his wife. And I don't know what that feels like. And, and as he walks in, he sees his wife on a selling block and he's like, hey, sir, that, that's, my, that's my wife. And the guy's like, I don't care who you say she is. She's mine and she's up for auction. That's the price. And so, and so Hosea starts to bid. And in this moment, I, I can only imagine that Gomer's like, I can't believe that Hosea is here. Hosea went all this way to be here, and now he's trying to outbid for me? See, it says that he ended up paying for her 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley. Um, and numbers sometimes have significance in scripture. Sometimes they don't. Um, but I found this to be really awesome is that 15 is, is the number um, for rest after deliverance. Silver is sometimes seen as, as redemption. So rest after redemption. And then I love this. Five is often seen as God's grace and goodness towards humanity. And barley is this idea of, barley is what you get from a harvest. It's the first fruit. It's the best of the best. You cu- you, when, you, when you get your harvest, you cut the barley, that's going to be the most expensive part of your harvest. And Jesus is often referred to as the first harvest, barley. And so this idea that God's grace and goodness towards humanity is Jesus. And so I love that. And you don't have to look much further to see the gospel right here. Not only is the story beautiful, but this beautiful idea of who God is and his love for us, but it's so interwoven throughout the story. And when Hosea finally gets Gomer, he extends their vows again to Gomer. I will be yours if you will be mine. See, there are two things we can learn from the story of of Hosea and Gomer. See, Hosea and Gomer's marriage is a prophetic symbol of the story of the relationship between God and Israel. The story is meant to show that the relationship between God and them has been very, anything but good, anything but sweet and simple. It has been extremely rocky. See, God had brought them out, God had brought their ancestors out of Egypt and to the Mount Sinai, and they they, they committed vows to one another. I will be your God if you will be my people. And they entered into this covenant, and he asked them to be faithful to him alone. Then God brings them out into the promised land, and everything that God gave them, they started to give to other gods. They started to to give it to other gods. They started to not look to God after God had brought them into the promised land. See, in the same way that Gomer's unfaithfulness to Hosea is adultery, the people of Israel's unfaithfulness to God is idolatry. God is here, God here is trying to to create 
the similarities that adultery is idolatry for God in our relationship with him. God has this legitimate reason to get a divorce with his people, to let them go, to cut them loose. But his love demands for him to pursue them in the darkest places. And remember, these people are committing heinous, inhumane acts towards their brothers and their sisters. They are. There's human sacrificing. There is violence. There is stealing. There is complete turning away from God. God is pursuing them in all of this. The second thing is Hosea and Gomer's marriage is an illustration of God's grace and goodness towards his people. Despite the people of Israel's unfaithfulness and despite how humane they, ha they have been, he wants to redeem their relationship. Other than the life death, resurrection of Jesus, there is no other amazing example of God's love than this story. So that was the first most important piece. With all of the judgment, with all of the anger, with all of the challenging texts that the scripture you, this, this book uses, it has this beautiful story of hope, this beautiful story of salvation and redemption. And then there's a second one, and it's Hosea 11. See, chapter after chapter, again, there's so much judgment and hope. And then all of a sudden, after all these harsh and this angry tone that God is having with his people, the camera lens pulls back like, a like you would see in a movie. And you don't just see the action that's happening. You see everything. And here what we see is God reflecting on his relationship with Israel. We don't find this anywhere else other than in Job. And so in Hosea 11, we see God in his emotional state. And so he starts talking to himself. And we, we get to like be in on that, which is amazing. And it's Hosea 11. And it's broken up in three parts. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense and images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, and t taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. The imagery is beautiful here. To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. See, here God is just showing how heartbroken he is. And then we get to the next verse. Will they not return to Egypt? Will they not return back into captivity? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities and it will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. It will put an end to their future. He's so angry. He wants to wipe them out. My people are determined to turn from me, and even though they call me God most high, I will by means, I by no means exalt them. So we get this God who's heartbroken, and then, I mean, this is this is pretty human. We get this God who's who's heartbroken, then he gets angry, and he's so frustrated. And then we see the part that's filled with compassion. But how can I give you up, 
Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma, which is uh, Sodom? How can I make you like Zeboim, Gomorrah? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a human, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. And they will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. See, chapter 11 is reflecting and describing the tenderness he wants to say to Israel. How, how he taught them to walk like a parent, that he loved them, that he picked them up. How he held them close to his cheek. When I, when I hear that, I've been binge-watching Mandalorian with my wife, um, and I just think of the cute little baby Grogu and then the Mandalorian just holding him tight after protecting him so many times. And then there's this, anu- this moment where he just shares how deserving they are of all the punishment and consequences his people deserve for everything that they have done, the injustice they have caused. He is so angry because of their unfaithfulness and their spiritual adultery and then flashes in another moment. But I can't do this to you. It's true you're deserving all the du- this judgment, but in the end, I cannot do what my heart says I cannot do. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart churns within me. All my compassion is awakened. The Israelites will be, and as we know, the Israelites will be ruined by Syria. Syria. They will end up in exile. But throughout all of this, throughout the book of Hosea, and even the other prophets, judgment is temporary. The consequences are temporary. But God's love, mercy, and compassion, and grace is lasting. He doesn't abandon them. They have to pay the consequences, like, there are consequences for our actions and our decisions, especially, especially when we do them knowingly. But he does not love them less and he does not forsake them. See, the human condition, what can we learn from this book that's filled with all of these angry words, that's filled with lament and sorrow, but then has this beautiful story of who he is and then has this conversation with himself, what can we learn from this? Well, one, we can learn that from the, peop- the people of Israel, there were so many loud voices in the room for them. They allowed people to have influence over them. They allowed for things and ideologies and meaningless half-baked ideas to have the most influence in their life. They didn't listen to the voice of God. They didn't take the time to hear and cultivate the space. And that's important to understand, that they, they allowed 
other voices in the room to be louder. They gave that influence. And the second is it only gets to that place when we don't put the work into our relationships. You know the saying, um, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah, things from the outside always look better. You look at your grass, you're like, man, that looks a lot nicer. Well then, water your grass. If the grass is greener, then you need to water it. You need to take care of your grass. See, in this, a lot of people can take that God is angry at them for idolatry and adultery. And yes, he is. But just like everything that scripture says, the Ten Commandments about God, uh, our relationship with God and our relationship with people. New Testament, Jesus, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything, but also love your brother as yourself. Here, God is angry at their relationship with him, but also how they treat their brothers and sisters. It's important that we put in the work in all of our relationships. It's important that we put in the work in our relationship with our family, our spouse, our community. And it's not easy to put in the work. It takes a, it takes a lot sometimes. Some, it, what it does is it takes sometimes, especially when it's difficult, it takes for you to absorb the pain sometimes. You have to absorb it. Like, that's what Hosea did. He paid, sorry, he paid the cost. It doesn't change what she did, but he didn't revolt. He didn't come out in anger and consequence towards her. He loved her. And in relationships, it's so important that we don't revolt. We don't try to fight back in the sense that it's important to love and to accept those, those pains and accept the sacrifice and love them despite it because God does the same thing. And so we have to put in the work in our relationships. We have to put in the work to make sure that it's healthy, to put in the work to make sure that they know that I love them and vice versa. And the same thing is important with our relationship with God. Because the minute we don't put in the work, our hands are idle, our minds are idle, and we look past the other fence and we're like, that's greener grass. You only ever look beyond the fence because you're not busy doing the work. When you're busy watering the grass, cutting the grass, are you looking at other people's grass? Absolutely not, because you are busy taking care of what is yours, taking care of what you love. It is important to not, it's important to put in the work because if you don't, there are going to be lots of loud voices in the room. And by that, that is going to have such influence on you. Hosea is this beautiful story of what and how God loves us. How no matter what, no matter our offenses, and they did some pretty crazy stuff, that he loves humanity so much and in that he loves you. So today I would just challenge you to put in the work in your relationships, to put in the work 
in your relationship with God. Let's bow our heads. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for that this, this book wasn't written to us, Lord, but through your Holy Spirit, through the wisdom, through the fact, Lord, that as humanity, we all struggle with the same thing, very similar things, Lord, that we can get so much from this. So I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded of your compassion despite the judgment we deserve, despite the consequences. Lord, you love us regardless. And Lord, we thank you that we could just see a glimpse of your heart and your love, that you can, two things could literally exist. Lord, that your justice wants to be quenched, but your love and your compassion is overpowering, Lord. So we thank you, God, that you are a God of grace and mercy and love. And with that, Lord, would that motivate us? Would that move us into action? Would that move us to put in the work that it takes, Lord, to for our relationships with one another and with you? And Lord, would we listen to your voice? Would your voice be the loudest one in the room? In Jesus' name.